This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, our final 30 of the day. Streaming music company Spotify has been sued by a music publishing house for $1.6 billion. The reason is unauthorized use of thousands of songs from artists like Neil Young, Tom Petty, The Doors, and many others. And, of course, it's not the first time that Spotify is dealing with this type of suit, but it also comes as a bad time for them because Spotify is getting ready to make the rounds in preparation for its initial public offering. To see what's happening with this, we are joined on the phone by uh, Lawrence Gelbert, who is a lecturer here at the Wharton School, and he is also a music producer. Larry, great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. We also have Aaron with us on the phone, Aaron Jacobson, who's an attorney based in Beverly Hills, California. Aaron, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to have you with us. What was your reaction to this suit coming forward? Um, I laughed, (laughs) actually. Um, I'm an advocate for songwriters and music publishers, so I'm glad to see Wixen taking a stand for itself and its songwriters against a service that's worth billions of dollars that bases its entire business model on the use of music and doesn't pay for it properly. And it's really imperative that users of music properly value the music and compensate songwriters and rights owners fairly. Larry, what was your reaction to, to this when it came forward? I have a similar attitude as someone with a business background, but also uh, a record producer and a proud voting member of the Grammy organization, NARA, since 1999. I think that the technology companies have the right to license things properly, but when they just take those rights and wait for some, wait for the legal parts to, uh, you know, follow through in the courts, it's very disappointing. There's plenty of money for everyone, and uh, so. This particular case does get complex in the sense that you have the difference between sound recordings and compositions, and not everyone understands how those things operate. And so uh, it can be somewhat opaque. Well, can you take us into that a little bit? Because, as you said, a, a lot of the, the, the music fans out there who are you know people that you know are dialing into the various channels here on Sirius XM, they may not know the difference. Sure, and, and it's very common. So there are really two kinds of... Uh, works here. There's the song, the composition of a song, but then there's the actual sound recording or an instance of that song. And those are two different uh, entities legally. So you might have the rights to perform or to uh, broadcast a sound recording, a particular instance of a song, but you also have to pay the songwriters and the music publishers who publish that composition. You can also obtain a compulsory license, uh, and I don't want to get too technical here, but Spotify evidently did not even do what is needed to, to do that, and they did not directly negotiate with the songwriters and publishers. And so that's where, uh, but this is a matter of hundreds of millions and potentially billions of dollars, where you look at this uh, organization, which is worth about $19 billion, uh, while it is hard sometimes to track down publishers and songwriters to pay them, it's really essential for the future of music. I mentioned, Aaron, that, that this obviously is not the first time that uh, that Spotify has had an issue like this. How long have they been really dealing with uh, with these types of, of issues? And, and I guess to a degree, why haven't they learned their lesson? Right. Well, the non-payments probably go back to the beginning of the service, honestly. Um, the first settlement with the National Music Publishers Association was in early 2016, 
And then we've had several lawsuits in 2017, the most recent one obviously being um, from Wixen. And why haven't they learned their lesson? I do not know. Um, You would think that they would have, and um, it's not that they're completely doing nothing. They did go through the Harry Fox agency for uh, most or what mechanical licenses they could obtain, but not every rights owner uses the Harry Fox agency to issue mechanical licenses on its behalf. So in that case, for those rights owners that do not go through Harry Fox, Spotify would have had to go to the individual rights owners, and that is where um, you know things went awry because they didn't do that. But Wixen is basically, a, a to, for lack of a better term, kind of a, a clearinghouse for the rights of, of all of these songs, correct? Well, not, not really. So Wixen is a music publisher, and okay. a music publisher is responsible for all the management having to do with the compositions written by the songwriters signed to that company. So a music publisher will issue the licenses and collect royalties for the compositions by its songwriters. It will also take legal action on behalf of its songwriters for infringements of the compositions. Um, But publishers also pitch the writers' compositions to get placements in film and television. They get songs recorded on albums. They will pair co-writers together for writing sessions. So it's really full management of the compositions, not just a, you know, a licensing processing type company. So not only as a composer and a record producer myself, I can take on, uh, take off that hat for a moment and put on my Wharton MBA hat. Uh, I've been teaching entrepreneurship uh, at Wharton since 2006. And I can tell you that from a business perspective, if uh, you take an organization uh, like Spotify, a lot of times it's a very uh, effective uh, if not ethical business strategy, just to do things that are illegal if they can generate enough money and worry about the lawsuits later because they're very protracted. And generally, a company that has six, uh, a value of $19 billion mm-hmm. is going to be able to stay and keep people in, uh, first of all, keep people out just by the massive amount of time and effort it takes to file and follow through on these lawsuits, which is why you generally, uh, you'll see that the artists need to be as a collective or a class action. It really helps in negotiating these. But these can take years and years by which time Spotify will have made all of their money. So as a business strategy, it can be very effective to just kind of skirt the law and say, well, we're sort of trying here and we're doing a little bit of this there. Uh, and if you think that even if they lose the case, they can appeal and it can go on for a very long time. Well, the other piece to it, which I mentioned at the top, uh, Larry, is the fact that uh, they were in the process of you know, starting to make the rounds for their IPO. And, and actually, in this case, it's a DPO. Okay, okay. Which, just to give you, I'll leave my, I still have my MBA hat on. So yeah. <laughs> the DPO is a direct public offering and is less expensive, uh, but it has a lot of the positive effects of being able to get the stockholders to get liquid and to get cash. Uh, it's not quite as onerous, uh, but it also cuts out the investment banker or the underwriter. So it's not uh, that frequently used in a, in a deal this big. But that's. Uh, but anyway, I, I did want to clarify that. So either yeah. a DPO or a direct, it's similar to an IPO in some ways, but doesn't require an underwriter, and uh, you have to follow state and local laws. Obviously. So then, what, Aaron? What ends up being the impact potentially on Spotify in in having to deal with uh, with this suit and the, the one that they uh, completed recently as well, and the fact that they have this DPO kind of working in the in the uh, in in the realms as well? Right. 
Well, it's a little too early to tell because I think a lot of the public is supportive of Spotify because they use it as a consumer and they see streaming as the future because it's convenient to have your music whenever you want it. But a lot of these companies, especially the companies that are backed by a lot of VC money, they see these lawsuits as just a part of the cost of doing business and Mm -hmm. it doesn't phase them and they just forge ahead. Um, from an investment standpoint, I think the fact that Spotify continues to be hit with massively expensive lawsuits makes it more risky as an investor, but they don't seem to be too faced by it at the moment. Well, the complaint itself uh, said that more than 20% of the music that Spotify uses is unlicensed. you think that's a that's a representative number, Aaron? Yeah, well, what, what the complaint said is that they cited an article in the Wall Street Journal that said Spotify failed to pay songwriter royalties to a publishing company approximately 21% of the time, which, you know, makes sense. Um, so then they then extrapolated... Uh, that figure is an estimate that Spotify has approximately 30 million songs in its catalog. So if it's not paying on 21% of those, there's approximately 6,300,000 compositions that have not been paid for. Yeah, and I think that you can then multiply that by $150,000 for infringement, and all of a sudden that turns out to be real money. Well, right, except yeah. so 150000 per infringement is the statutory damages, but the, nobody usually gets the full amount of statutory damages. Right. It's usually somewhere between what the actual infringement was mm-hmm. and statutory damages based on the facts of the case. Well, Aaron, we also have, uh, we're at a time where this, uh, the Music Modernization Act I- is starting to make its way through Congress. I guess it was just introduced in the House of Representatives. Tell mm-hmm. us about that uh, that potential new law and the impact that it could have. Sure. So the Music Modernization Act is a large overhaul of Section 115 of the Copyright Act, and Section 115 is that section that Larry mentioned where you can get compulsory licenses for uses of compositions. Um, So the legislation really has a lot of benefits. It seeks to create a central database to locate rights owners. It seeks to centralize and streamline the process to obtain mechanical license. It wants to reform the procedures in how the royalty rates are set using a willing buyer, willing seller standard. And it also is set up in a way that the digital service providers like Spotify would actually be funding the creation of this database and this licensing scheme. So the goal of the bill was to get everybody on board, both creators and digital service providers and users of music. So it really right. can revolutionize the way that music is licensed. But there is some opposition to it, as shown by the Wixon lawsuit, because the Music Modernization Act would limit or remove the rights and remedies to sue for infringement, and liability for infringements would be limited to the amount of royalties owed for those unlicensed compositions. So statutory damages and, and those extra monies available would not be available Uh, if the Music Modernization Act passes. Um, Another thing about the database is that all the ownership shares of the rights owners would be made public, and there's a lot of rights owners within our business that do not want their ownership shares made public. So they're, they're trying to 
create something where everybody's on board and, you know, having to relieve the DSPs, the digital service providers, of some liabilities so that overall music will be licensed and paid and the rates will be more fair. So they're really mm-hmm. just trying to strike that compromise, and we'll see what ends up happening with it. Larry? Yes, I would say, you know, uh, just to give a little background, Representative Doug Collins from Georgia uh, was leading this Music Modernization Act, and it is getting some traction, and there are a lot of really good things about it and a lot of real challenges. I would like to just quickly go through. Uh, as Aaron mentioned, the central database would be a wonderful thing. It would be paid for by the tech companies and allow them to get a blanket license for all of the songs in that central database. Uh, that central database would be very expensive to put together, I assure you. Uh, and so there is something attractive to other parties to say, well, let the tech companies pay for that in exchange for giving them a license to all of the material in there. Mm-hmm. And a large number of uh, organizations, NMPA, DMA, ASCAP, BMI, National Songwriters uh, Association International are in favor of this in a general way. But let me just give you a little more sophisticated look at what the, some of the challenges are. Right. These were put up by Rick Carnes, who's the president of the Songwriters Guild of America. And he, a very uh, appropriately, I think, pointed out that you have to be careful about transparency and fairness in the way that this database is created. You also have issues of distribution of unidentified money or inability to reach the songwriter. How does that money get paid? Does it get paid? How about opt-outs? It's a vague, um, what if somebody wants to opt out of this database or not have their information public, as Aaron mentioned? Also, there's no direct payments to songwriters or publishers, which they desperately want. All the payments would go through the, the organization, and that's one more delay in getting money. And also, it makes it hard uh, to get audits done. Uh, this has always been a challenge, is how often and how do you audit these databases to make sure that the uh, information is correct when there's a conflict of interest, potentially. So well, there, there are audit provisions within the bill. Um, and then the uh, as far as unpaid royalties, they're held for a particular period of time, and then uh, distributed based on market share. Mm-hmm. 844-WHARTON so. is the number if you would like to join in with your questions or comments. 844-942-7866. We're talking about the Spotify lawsuit. You're more than welcome to join in, or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Aaron Jacobson, an attorney based in Beverly Hills, California, focuses on the music industry. Joining us uh, on the phone, along with uh, Lawrence Gelbart, who's a lecturer here at the Wharton School and a music producer himself. Uh, I I guess my next question is, where do you think this is going to end up going here, Aaron? I mean, obviously, a lot of these uh, cases end up getting settled to a degree, and as as you kind of alluded to before, it feels like to a degree that uh, that Spotify is willing to to pay the, the the settlement because they know that they're getting a decent amount of money from the use of the songs to begin with. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, so far, Spotify has been settling, um, and and they've been multi-million dollar settlements, um, but that still hasn't fixed the the problem in that they haven't licensed everything properly, um, which they're supposed to be doing. And that was, again, one of the reasons why Wixon brought the lawsuit, because they opted out of the previous class action settlement, because when you broke down the liability um, and you took out the attorney's fees and then they figured out 
what it would be when everyone got paid from what was left over, the liability ended up to be about $3.82 per infringement. And Wixon just felt that that was unacceptable. Um, So, you know, we'll see that the lawsuits are really a Band-Aid at this point because Mm -hmm. the actual problem has not been fixed. Larry? One of the challenges is... uh that, uh, and I'll, let me go back to my history with EMI for this. You know, EMI had, uh, when I was there, over a million copyrights that they were administering and had a par- partial or total ownership of. And part of the contracts that were uh, generally signed with the songwriters uh, indicated that there were very limited rights to audit to see how the performance of the payments is, was going. The, uh, and EMI and, and other large publishers also had the right to only pay on an infrequent basis. It might be quarterly, it might be six months, it might even be annual in some cases, depending on the negotiation. But when you have a, a part of the contract also said that if any amounts were in dispute turned out to be owed by uh, the publisher to the, uh, the songwriter, that... In that case, the only de- the only right they had was to collect the difference with no interest. Mm-hmm. So there was no motivation whatsoever, from an economic standpoint, for the for for the large publisher to pay that money to that songwriter because if they didn't, and they paid them later, they're paying him in today's dollars later without any interest or penalties attached. So from a physic- from a financial standpoint, there's no motivation. To, to pay those uh, dollars early or on time. And depending on the deal that Spotify gets or that, that happens with the publisher and a songwriter, this could still be the case. Well, Aaron, I, I saw – obviously this was filed on uh, on New Year's Eve. Right. But there was, I guess, uh, a need for Wixen to file this on on that particular day? Correct, because the Music Modernization Act will limit, as I was talking about, um, it will limit or remove rights and remedies to sue um, and limits the liability for, after January 1st, uh, 2018, which is why Wixon felt that its hand was forced and that they had to get the lawsuit in um, before New Year's. So what do you expect, uh, what do you expect Larry, to happen from this case? Uh, I would expect that they uh, would continue to just fight it and let things drag drag through as slowly as they can. I don't see the motivation for them to, to do thing, anything more quickly. And honestly, yeah. there are so many organizations that have law, lawsuits against them. It's part of the valuation process when they do this DPO or an IPO that part of uh, when you when you purchase almost any company or have that kind of an offering, there are always legal risks. And this one, even though that suit has been filed, there's no guarantee of how long it would take or what the dollar amount would be at the end. And so what happens is business people take risks and they uh, expect rewards in exchange. Right. But I can tell you, if it's a 90, if the current evalu- valuation just in, is floating in the 16 to 19 billion dollar area, right. there's not a lot of, in my mind, a lot of motivation for them to just take a, a billion dollars to settle this thing when they think they can stretch it out for a much smaller amount over a long period of time. Well, and Aaron, the interesting thing in, in reading up on this is that the, the, the cost per stream, I guess, is is minute. It's less. It's way less than a penny. Correct. But when you multiply it you know, by the number of people that use the songs, it becomes a lot of money over a period of time. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, streaming rates are, like you said, just fractions of pennies, and really to make any sort of substantial income does require millions of streams. But, you know, as the complaint said, they're looking at potentially 6,300,000 compositions that have have been infringed. So you're correct. When you do add them up, it does add up to to real money, Um, and especially if, in a lawsuit, you can get some statutory damages or a settlement that amounts to more than what the actual cost of the unpaid royalties would be. I guess, uh, in finishing up, Larry, I guess the expectation, though, is uh, the fact that uh, this bill will come forward at some point, and uh, hopefully it will be uh, it'll be finalized sometime in, in maybe 2018. It could be, and I think that there's certainly room for, uh, and I do want to be fair to both parties, uh, particularly when it comes to, we look at the experience we have with uh, sound exchange. Sometimes it's hard to track down the actual songwriters. Many of them move, right. move yeah. away. There is no central database of their addresses or how right. to reach them. Sometimes people file claims saying that that's not the actual uh, holder of, this, of the copyright or the songwriter, and what do you do in those cases? So yeah. it, is, it can be very challenging legally. Uh, and so there is some argument on that side of things. Thank but- you. Thank you both. I have to end it there. We're at the end of the show. I have my apologies. Aaron, thank you very much. Larry as well. That'll take care of Knowledge of Wharton for the day here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.